Hey friends, welcome to the Her God Story podcast, where you will always hear a good story to build your faith and equip you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Kiracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. Before David became king of Israel, he lived a life on the run. His peaceful life as a shepherd was upended when he spent years hiding from his father-in-law who wanted to kill him due to no fault of his own. The Psalms are filled with his anxious cries to God for help. Even as king, he went through dark times that tried his soul, but God carried him through each one. David is the one who wrote Psalm 18 and verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 19 in the NIV reads, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I've been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I cried to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came from him, before him, into his ears. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. My guest, Alyssa Gustafson, has known dark times in her life too, and has also experienced the rescue of the Lord. Alyssa serves with us at Somebody Cares America as our development specialist, and she's the one who develops the show notes for each podcast. A joyful spirit, Alyssa lives in Houston with her husband and son. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you for having me. What were some of the greatest influences in your life? Well, I was born and raised in California. My father had transferred there to go to a Bible college so he could become a pastor. And so I grew up basically amongst the Redwoods and spent a lot of my time playing in the Redwoods. And the area we lived in was basically a very large version of a cul-de-sac for the Bible college. You know, there was only uh, Bible professors and Bible students in that area. So it was a very safe area to grow up in and beautiful nature. So I spent a lot of time there. And my mother was a great reader, so that was another huge influence in my life. In fact, she kind of made it a game where, you know, when I was five, I could check out five books. And when I was six, I could check out six. So from there, I have expanded, and I won't tell you how many books I can check out now. <laughs> well, I am, uh, I am, I'm a love to read, too. I remember in those early days as an elementary school, we'd go home with our, you know, our book reading assignment, and we'd have to come back at the beginning of the year with a list of all the books we read. Uh, during the summer. And inevitably, I always had the most books because I was an avid reader. I loved it. I would just sit in the house and read and read and read. Well, so I understand completely. Um, you know, Alyssa, as a pastor's daughter, you heard a lot about God. But when did Jesus become real to you personally? I remember being saved on an Easter Sunday when I was five years old. And then around that couple of years later, we ended up moving here to Houston. My dad was transferred and came to a church here in Houston, became an associate pastor. And we had a little children evangelist come out. So at seven years old, 
I got worried and decided to double check my salvation and said the <laughs> salvation prayer again, because I was like, well, you know, I really want to make sure that God and I have a good relationship. And so from there on, he stuck around, luckily for me, because I didn't always remember to stick around for him. So he's faithful, isn't he? Yes, he is. So what was it like being a pastor's kid? Challenging. <laughs> One thing as I grew up learning was that people who know your pastor know he's a pastor and they see the spiritual maturity and then they see you as his daughter and they expect you to have the same spiritual maturity that your much older parent has without taking into consideration that sometimes you're just still a kid. And even as an adult, they still have 20 years worth of maturity time that God's had to work in their lives that not worked in yours yet. So it was an interesting dynamic because people expected more of you than anyone else around you and expected more of you than other kids your own age, especially. Yeah, that can put a lot of pressure on you, really undo pressure and really make you, uh, I don't know, maybe even afraid to show who you really are. Yeah. And there's a lot of that going on. You, you know, you try to put this perfect front up. Yeah. And even to this day, I still struggle with trying to not be perfect, but just to be in God and allow him to be who he is in me and not try to attain that perfectionism because you get used to trying to present this perfect facade that others can see so there won't be judgment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think about being in Christian ministry and being in church, you know, for many, many years. I won't I won't mention how many uh, on this podcast. And I think that can that can really be a problem for just the average believer as well, you know, trying to, you know, I'm a Christian, so I have to be perfect. God doesn't call us to pretend perfection. He says, be holy because I am holy, but that's only because of the work of God in us. And because we are seeking him, not because we are putting on a front and a, a mask. So I would imagine being a pastor's kid would add much more pressure and stress. Um, When you were a young teenager, two profound things occurred in your life. One was great and the other one was pretty shattering. Tell us what those were and how they impacted you. I'll actually start with the shattering because it happened first was when I was around 14 years old, my parents got a divorce Mm. and that just wasn't something that was heard of in our denomination, you know, especially for a pastor and his wife to go through a divorce. And I didn't understand a lot of the dynamics being a young teenager. For me, it was devastating because I had been raised where that was something you didn't do and they did it. And it's like, was very confusing and also very devastating because even though my father was hardly ever at home because he was always at church or at ministry or doing something, there was always the opportunity that he'd come home. And so my mother became basically mostly a single mother. My Mm -hmm. dad was there and he was a vital part of my life, but he wasn't there every day and every moment. And so that was devastating to me. Luckily for me, he had the sense to pray that she's going to need more than what I can give her. And he started praying that I'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we went off to youth camp that summer, which I had done every summer. This was the first summer after the divorce. And I went off and was filled with the Holy Spirit while at that youth camp. While it was a beautiful camp, I think it was most beautiful that God answered that prayer of my father's 
to fill him with more of himself. Yeah. And so you're at this youth camp as a teenager and what made you, I mean, I know it was your, the, the, your father's prayers <laughs> that kind of gave you that, you know, the Holy Spirit raised up that uh, awareness of need in you, but what, what was it that kind of triggered in your thoughts that, Hey, this is something I want now. This is something I need now. This is something I'm going to ask for. I think it was more of a wanting more of God, you okay. know, in, in a way I felt like my parents had turned away from God and at the stage of life as a teenager, usually 14 and 15 year olds, they want to do the exact opposite of what their parents are doing. And since I felt my parents were going away from God, even though they not necessarily were going away from God, I felt that as a teenager. So I was running towards God instead it was an opportunity to run even closer to God in a way that I hadn't before. Well, divorce has such far reaching effects. I mean, you've talked a little bit about it, but let's go a little bit deeper. How did your parents' divorce change your life? I was angry, I think, partially. I didn't think I realized I was angry because in some ways it felt better because my father was would realize he hadn't seen me in a while. And so I would see a little more quality time with him than I had in the past. And of course, one of the jokes I made was that I got double Christmas presents and double birthday presents. So of course, you know, any teenager is going to love that. But I, so I kind of disguised the anger for a long time and then started getting really depressed about it and became really emotional mm. about it. In fact, I started where anything that happened, I've had a very emotional response to it. Having that happen when I was a teenager and already having hormonal emotions, add to that the stress of learning and basically a new way of life. Yeah. Because you go from a two parent home where you're an only child to being a, you know, mostly single parent home from day to day and how to adjust to that and it was quite a encounter, I think, for me it would be a yeah. good word to describe it. Yeah. Well, God cares deeply about hurting children, uh, especially those who have no parent to care for them in times of crisis. And over and over in scripture, he directs us to care for the orphans and the widows, which is why Somebody Cares created the Orphan and Widows Fund. And as a company of women, we can do so much together to take care of the special needs and cultivate the special gifts of children who he's put in the care of our ministry partners around the world. I just ask you to pray about joining our number with a gift at hergodstory.org. You can click on help now, and we even accept cryptocurrency. Uh, right now, that's not so great because it's in free fall, but someday when it recovers, that might be a, a way that you want to give. Um, but Alyssa, back to you now. Throughout your teens and into your 20s, you struggled with more than just anger, it was turning into depression. But at the same time, you held on to your faith. Can you put into words what that struggle was like? It was one of those where everything that happened, I looked at it in a, from a negative connotation. Everything was dark. It got just got darker. And at one point, didn't want to even live because mm. it was just so dark that I would literally be in a fetal position on the floor, feeling like there was somebody sitting on top of me. The Holy Spirit would speak to me and say, you know, there are good things in your life. There are people who care about you. And I would argue. Mm. <laughs> I would say, oh, well, that person, they live too far away. Or that person doesn't even notice what I'm dealing with. And in all honesty, they probably didn't understand because nobody can know the heart of a man except God. And so it got even darker and darker to a point I was ready to commit suicide mm. at one point. 
And luckily, somewhere along the line, God had spoken through a youth minister who was speaking to youth and teen suicide was a huge thing at that time that the church was trying to deal with. And he came out and he said that suicide is a trick of the devil because he knows God has a plan for your life. And he is so afraid of what that plan is that he's trying to get you to kill yourself so that God can't fulfill his plan in you. And luckily that stuck in my spirit. So when I did want to commit suicide, I remembered that over and over again. Mm. And it goes back to Jeremiah 29, where it says, for I know the plans I have for you and they're good. Yeah. And God did have good plans. And he kept reminding me of that and gave me hope in the middle of all of that. As it went on, though, I kept struggling. Yeah. You know, I didn't after that, I didn't have problems with wanting to kill myself because I knew there had to be a plan. But I sure didn't like the plan that was panning out before me. I once heard a pastor talk about the Israelites wandering around in that hot desert and how awful it was. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm in that desert. In fact, I think I'm under that mountain. In fact, I think I'm in a cave on that on the bottom side of that mountain. And then I started thinking, you know, I'm not even just in that cave. There is a pit in the back of that cave that I have fallen into and someone is spinning me around. And it's like every once in a while I'd spin and see a very small glimpse of light. Mm. You said that one message from that pastor pulled you from the brink of suicide. But what helped you make it through day to day when you're struggling with the darkness that was really trying to overwhelm you? I think a lot of it had to do with scriptures. One of the scriptures I had, ironically, during that time was Psalm 18, Mm. which you quoted at the beginning of this podcast, except part of the verse that stuck out to me at the time was one that you didn't say, and it was from 10 through 11, and it said, He mounted on the cherubim and flew, and he soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. And for some reason, the image of God coming down on these wings of wind Mm. stuck in my spirit. And when I was rereading it the other day, I noticed it said he made darkness his covering. And while I was in the middle of that darkness, I never realized all that scripture was trying to speak to me because there was so much darkness around me that I didn't realize God was making that darkness his covering to come and rescue me in the middle of that. Wow, I've never thought of that scripture that way, but it's such a powerful image. You know, nothing. I mean, you hear this, you know, that we know the scripture, nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth, nor, you know, anything in all creation. But even oppressive darkness Mm -hmm. cannot separate us from God. He surrounds himself with it so he can sneak in on the darkness. I always love that image, but I love the fact that he will make that his own covering. Yeah. You know, when we think it's, taken us over. And during that time, uh, were there friends that came alongside or activities that kind of helped you through? Luckily, God blessed me with a good group of friends who put up with me even when my emotions overtook me. Mm. They didn't understand the depression, but they were willing to stay my friend through the emotional outburst and, you know, seeing things in negative ways. They were willing to stay with me through all of that. We had a youth group leader who actually was not a official youth group leader. She had two teenagers and a younger daughter just underneath teenage years and realized that there was no youth group. So she decided, well, let's start one. Had started with her 
her own family inviting friends over, and it grew to include our entire church at the time. And instead of teaching us, she trained us to teach each other. Mm. She taught us to dig into the word every week. We'd all take turns. Everybody got a turn. And you would take a turn, you would study some topic, and then you would come back and present it to your peers. And I learned a lot about ministry during that time. And mostly that if you ask, God will teach you. And I loved teaching and I loved praying for those who were teaching at the time. So I really loved the ministry aspect of it. And a lot of those have gone on to minister in their own ways. And it's funny how many of us you know, you know, we didn't all become pastors, but we all became ministers in one way or other in forms. You know, some did it through military. Some did it through, you know, being a car mechanic and helping on church on the weekends. But God trained us through that. Yeah, that's really a powerful lesson to learn at a young age that, you know, God can speak to you personally through his word. And when you ask, he does answer. Yes, he does. Well, eventually you actually came to an end of yourself. And you cried out in desperation. What brought you to that point and how did God respond? I think I got to a point where I had done all I could do or all I thought I could do. And I really just, I hated living with the depression. And you were in your 20s by now? I was in my 20s. It started around the age of 14 and now I'm like 26. Mm. So 12 years. I identified with the woman with the issue of blood who you know, struggled with something for 12 years and was desperate for healing, desperate to do anything. And I got to that desperation point. I got to the point where I was like, God, I can't live like this anymore. There's, it's dark, it's negative. It feels awful. I don't want to live like this anymore. And while I didn't want to kill myself, I basically challenged God. And I said, you've got to either fix me or kill me. Mm. I'm not going to kill myself, but you've got to do something. And it was such a cry of desperation of my heart at that time. And so I went to church that Sunday and one of the little elderly women who always was joyful, you know, even the trials of her family hadn't really dampened her. And she stands up in church. This is the time when we would all give testimonies at church. And she stood up and she talked about facing dark depression Mm. because she had a grandson who was going through very heavy medical problems. And she stood up in church and talked about being depressed. And my first thought was, she can't be depressed. She's too happy to be depressed. You know, we didn't talk about that in church. You know, you're supposed to be happy, not depressed. And she stood up, God bless her, in the middle of church service and said she had been depressed. And she said that she had spent 40 days in the word of God, Mm. looking up and researching what God had to say about joy. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to my spirit, this is your answer. And I was like, really? (laughs) And God's like, 40 days. So I got out my Strong's Concordance and I started looking up. Once a day, I'd pull a scripture out that seemed to be about joy or rejoicing. I would start by writing out the scripture. And then I would basically journal what I either thought the scripture meant or how I felt about the scripture. And I plugged along week after week after week. And about that third week, I hit Zephaniah 3, 14 and 17. And it says, Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. 
And I read that several times and then I went to journal it and I journaled, God, I don't believe you. That's a bold <laughs> confession, but it's okay. God's okay with it. God, God's not afraid of our honesty. And that's one of the best things about God is that you can be honest yeah. with him. And I told him, I don't believe you. You know, if this is true, you're going to have to prove it to me. And for the next 24 hours, I heard every bird in the Houston area singing in areas I didn't know there were birds to sing. There were birds singing. It was a beautiful blue sky, no cloudy kind of day. And I heard every bird rejoicing in song. Mm. And God's like, do you hear me singing now? Wow. <laughs> and from that moment on, I felt a breaking in my spirit, a breaking off of that depression. And while I still fought depression, I learned that God won the war that day. He won the war against depression. There would still be battles, yeah. but the war was done. God had broken it mm. and, and was working on fixing me. <laughs> yeah. Well, after God healed you from that overwhelming depression, you started sharing your testimony. And why and what has been the result of that? I heard one time... Uh, not long after that, I was listening to a Christian broadcast, which wasn't something I normally did at that time in my life, probably not much along those lines still today. And someone was speaking about being depressed and being healed of depression. And it was on a nationally broadcasted Christian show. And I'd never heard someone on a nationally broadcast Christian show talk about depression. And he made the comment that no one will know God can heal it if we don't talk about it. Mm. And so that sparked something inside of me. And at the time I was doing little solos at church and, and I would start talking a little before the song, which I really enjoyed the talking part, <laughs> oddly enough. And I started sharing. I was like, hey, I can share. I have an opportunity. And so I started sharing before I sang that God had healed me of depression. And I had so many women mostly come up to me. I had one who had a lovely life and was always appeared to be in a good mood. And she came up to me and she said, I've been on Prozac for the last three years. And my spirit said, whoa, <laughs> because it wasn't something we talked about in church. And it basically opened a door. And she wasn't the only one that came up to me and said, thank you for saying that, because I've dealt with depression. They had never been told God could heal it. And yeah. so now it's like if somebody comes to me and it's like God can heal, them, you, you know, you have to believe that there is a spiritual oppression that can cause depression. It's not the only yes. cause of depression, certainly. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But some depression is caused by spiritual dark forces. Definitely. In your young life, the anger that you felt at that divorce and maybe the betrayal really opened a door for that. And it grew. <laughs> it grew in you to overwhelm you. It grew you. a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, but God gave you the answer. Yes, he did. And that spiritual oppression that was causing that depression left. So, you know, depression is largely misunderstood. Definitely. Uh, and what what should we know about it? One of the things that I've learned is that the brain is an organ just like your lungs or your liver or any other part of your body that's a vital part of your body. And depression is a mental health disease, which basically means it's a disease of the brain. If we had a lung disease, we would get help you know, we, and we would pray about it. We would seek help. We would seek medical attention. We haven't as a culture 
until recently even addressed the fact that mental health is a health issue. Mm. And learning that is vital because we have tried to say that you can choose to be happy. Um, trust me when I say you can't always choose to be happy. You can make choices that lead you to a joy in the Lord. But just saying, I'm going to choose to be happy, while that will take you a step in the right direction, won't cure depression. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot more people now are struggling with either mild or, or severe depression and other anxieties because of the challenges they faced during COVID. Yes. You know, that physical health crisis as we hear in the news, became kind of a mental health crisis. And we want to say there's hope for you. Jesus is the answer. And whether the prescription that he gave Alyssa to study (laughs) joy for 40 days is what he has for you, ask him. He knows what what will bring about that breakthrough in your life. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that there are several ways God can heal you from depression. He can do it the way he did with me, where he, it was just me and God. There are medical doctors out there that can help because sometimes it's chemical imbalance that's causing it. And then sometimes you need therapy. You need Mm -hmm. someone to work through the emotions that led to it. And sometimes you need a combination of all three. (laughs) Right. I'm, you know, I'm not a one, one fits all. And God knows exactly what each person needs because he knows their heart and knows their spirit. Yeah. And that is so important that the Lord can give you direction. You know, he can say, yeah, you need to go to a doctor and then obedience is going to a doctor. Yep. Or he can say, study, study about joy and obedience is studying about joy. Right. Uh, He can say, you need some counsel to help you process this and obedience is doing that. So like you said, there's no one right way to do it except obedience to God. And even asking him in the first place, you know, we tend to think we can do it on our own. I tried for 12 years to do it on my own. I asked God into it and within three weeks. So (laughs) there's a huge difference of trying to do it on your own and allowing God to do a work in you. So God gave you some tools to deal with depression, you know, whenever it tried to creep back into your life. Share those, will you? One of them is focus on joy. You know, Philippians 4, 8 says we, you know, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, you know, think on these things. And there's a whole lot more in that scripture about what to think on. But think on the joy, because when you think on the negative or look at everything that's wrong, you're going to start going down the wrong path. Mm. You have to at least start aiming your path the right way. It's like you can say, I choose joy. But part of that is walking and focusing on the joyful things because, you know, your car can break down like mine did not too long ago. And there were happened to be some workers nearby who helped push it out of the way and someone who had a phone number to a good mechanic. There were good things in the middle of that. And everything situation we go through, the best thing is God's with us through it. And if we focus on that and then second, I would say stay in his word. I mean, that's the how God saved me the first time is he kept bringing scripture after scripture to bring hope because without hope, you're lost and there is hope in Jesus. And if we keep going back to his word and we see what it says about him and about our circumstances, there's going to be hope and joy that might not ever have been there. Another thing I would say would be to surround yourself with sources that uplift you, mm-hmm. have friends, have church family that uplift you, have books, radio programs, podcasts 
that uplift your spirit. Instead of focusing on the news and what's gone wrong today, focus on those things and then God can use those to help bring you to a place of healing. Yeah, you know, it's so important to guard the gateways of our mind. What we see, what we hear, what we surround ourselves with. Gosh, music can change your mood, right? <laughs> you can be in a great mood and listen to some <laughs> depressing music and all of a sudden you go, "Oh, well, you know, I'm feeling tired and sluggish today." Or you can you can be kind of having a hard day, but you listen to some encouraging uplifting music and it can change your whole perspective. Yeah, I have a playlist that's called Despair to Dancing that I started not long after um, God set me free that just basically led me along a path where it started off quiet, but then ended up more and more rejoicing on who God is to me. And it helped for years. And, you know, I still listen to it lovely because I love the music on it. But that was a good tool that God used to bring me even into better relationships. Yeah, that's such a great idea. And, you know, it's really easy now to create those playlists. <laughs> you know, you just add them on your MP3 player or your phone or Spotify or Pandora <laughs> or whichever one you use. So that's a great idea. Well, in your 20s, in your late 20s, you met a wonderful man who became your husband. Tell us a little bit about that journey. I actually originally met him before God healed me. I was going to a small church. My dad had left the church we were going to, and I was kind of wandering churches for a little bit and ended up going to a church that I had visited because they didn't know who my dad was. You know, going back to the expectations of a pastor's child, I went to a church where they barely knew who my dad was. And it was a great pastor there who loved encouraging people in what he felt God had called them to. Even if you didn't want to be encouraged into that particular ministry, he would practically push you into it in a loving, you know, uh -huh. enthusiastic way. And so I ended up going to this really small church that was so small, they didn't even have a singles group because I was at the point where it's like, I'm going to church for God, for my relationship with him. I'm not there to get married. There was one other single person at that church, my age and spoiler alert, he ended up becoming my husband. <laughs> and for several years, people kept trying to set us up. He had asked me to minister somewhere and we had this long conversation, probably over an hour long. And he said that while we were talking, God told him, this is the girl you're going to marry. Meantime, in my mind, it was going, if he doesn't stop talking soon, I'm going to miss my TV show. <laughs> <laughs> so needless to say, God didn't speak the same way to me as he did to my husband. <laughs> and everyone kept trying to set us up. And he kept going, no, if it's God, God will do it. And God eventually brought us around to where I'm kind of like, he's kind of interesting to talk to. I enjoy talking to him. And the conversations got longer and longer till we ended up going out to lunch for, I think it was a nine or 10 hour conversation. Wow. Okay. So a couple of weeks later, you know, everyone's going, okay, you're dating her now. So don't move fast. And this is our enthusiastic pastor who pushes everybody into anything. He's not so enthusiastic and pushing. He's like, okay, you're dating her, move slow. So what do we do two weeks later on a date? My husband's like, you know, I've got to be honest with you. I'm not fooling around. I'm here because I plan on marrying you. And I looked at him and thought, hmm. And I said, well, you've got to go through a whole year with me. And see if you still, you know, every season, because people change throughout the year, if you still want to marry me after that year, you can ask at the end of the year, but then you have to give me a year to plan. So my husband pulled out his planner, 
look to see when two years from the date we were talking on was. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's kind of kind of close to Valentine's Day. So we picked out a date for our wedding on our second date and got married on that date. <laughs> we didn't tell anyone for six months we picked out a date. <laughs> But he stuck with you at the end of the year. He yes, asked, he did. right? He actually asked a little earlier because it was like Y2K. And so he's like, can I ask you early so that, you know, it's more special? All right. I guess so. <laughs> Still need that full year to plan. Yeah. So a few years later, after your son was born, uh, you started feeling depressed again. But it was a it was a different kind of depression this time. So what did you do? How did you sense that it was different? And what did you do? I knew there was a possibility of postpartum depression. So when it first started, I started feeling the depression coming on again. And I thought it doesn't feel as oppressive as it did when I dealt with it for 12 years. It still was depression. It was still hard mm-hmm. and it was still hard. You know, you, you're more weepy. You're more, you know, you're still seeing things in a negative, dark way. And I thought, well, I'm going to go to the doctor And luckily for me, God led me to the right doctor. I walked in, told him my symptoms. And he said, well, sounds like postpartum depression, which I already kind of knew it might be that. And he's like, well, I'm going to put you on these pills. I'm going to give you a sample. And then, you know, you'll get the whole prescription filled. And then you'll take them for a year and then you'll come off of them. And so he gave me the sample. I took the sample. We finished the exam. And then, you know, I checked out, went to my car. By the time I hit my car, I felt like a 180 degree turn had happened. Wow. So it like was night and day. It was night and day in less than 20 minutes. So definitely a chemical depression that time. And it was one of the things God used to show me. He's like, sometimes it's oppressive. Sometimes it's chemical, but I can still heal. (laughs) Yeah. He gave the doctor's wisdom to create the medicine to help us. So we need to allow God to heal us in any way he chooses. Yep. So when Aiden was born, you quit your job at the bank to be a stay-at-home mom, but eventually God called you back into the workforce. I mean, you loved being a stay-at-home mom. Oh, you I loved it. Really <laughs> didn't, had no no desire to go back to the workforce, but God made it clear to you that, you know, when Aiden started going back to school, he had a new ministry for you. Explain how that happened and how you've seen God's hand in it all. I'm an introvert. And so I'm staying at home all day with just my books and me sounds like a perfect little heaven, except for there was a little bit of depression that was coming in because I wasn't really interacting with people a lot. And of course, finances were starting to get a little tight because now we had a child, you know, God had blessed us for a length of time to for me to be a stay at home mom, which was a great great blessing that I'm very grateful for. We were talking about it. I'm like, I just don't want to go back to the bank, you know, very p- political type environment. And being an introvert, it was not my favorite place to be for the most part. You know, I had my favorites and then most people were just mean. <laughs> people don't like being told things about their money. So my husband and I were driving home from church and we lived a long way from our church. So we had a long time to talk. And he's like, describe your perfect job. And so I start telling him. And of course, none of it was anything I could do in banking, which was my only real experience in the workforce. And he's like, okay. And he's like, you know, maybe we'll just pray about it. And I'm thinking, I don't really want to go back to work. (laughs) And it's like, all right, we'll pray about it. Very next day, a friend called him and said, hey, I know your wife's a stay-at-home mom, but is she interested in going back to work? And my husband, being wise, didn't say, no, she's not interested, said, what does the job entail? 
and listened to her. And he said, okay, I'm going to talk to her when I get home. He gets home and he says, she just described the exact same thing you told me yesterday. And I said, really? And he's like, yes. And I was like, all right. And so I'm like, okay, I'll send him a resume. And so I sent in the resume, had a phone interview with Jody. And at the end of the call, had a start date, hung up. Three days later, I realized I never made the decision to go back to work. <laughs> and you had accepted a job. <laughs> and I was like, God, you tricked me. <laughs> I really was like, in a loving way, God tricked me because he knew I would need it. At the time I started working here, I really thought that it was because y'all needed me because I had skills that fit in perfectly with what you were needing at the time. Mm -hmm. Probably about a month after I started working here, my dad was diagnosed with leukemia and my world kind of came to a stop. And so for the next year of his battle with leukemia, I had was surrounded by a loving Christian family. When it came time for um, about a month before he died, I was praying because he had started, he had been better and starting going downhill again. And I was praying for him to be healed on this side of heaven. And I heard a still small voice say, if the worst happens, can you trust me? And I was not a big faith kind of built up person. I was always kind of like, if God asked me to jump, I'd say, okay, are you sure you want me to jump? Where are you having me jump? Why am I jumping? And how exactly what is the meaning of this? So when he asked me, you know, can you trust me? That was a huge ask. And yeah. he knew it. You know, I was silent for probably about 10 minutes. And I was like, okay, I will trust you if the worst happens. He did pass about a month later and God was there and was trustworthy and faithful. But part of what he was faithful in was that he had placed me in this job a year before mm -hmm. I needed the encouragement. We had a widow who was working here at the time who helped me learn how to grieve properly. She said, you know, you can grieve and you can be sad, but you can't let it take over your life. Yeah. And so she helped me be in a good spot to grieve and allowed me that time, even here at work, to grieve when I needed to and to talk when I needed to. I needed the family that I didn't know I needed. Yeah. If you had been at home reading your books, it would have possibly spiraled back into depression. And the Lord was really protecting you from that. Yeah, it would have been devastating to try to handle it on my own. And God surrounded me with loved ones, you know, to help me carry through. And so I'll be ever forever grateful for that. And God's grown me through the job emotionally, mentally, faith wise, definitely. We always laugh about around here that if everything's gone, if there's nothing left, Doug will still try to give it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and that was not my personality. And so being around him and seeing the times God's provided faithfully yeah. has built up my faith to a point where when it did come time, say, yes, God, I can trust you through the worst. So what are some of the unshakable truths you've learned in your walk with the Lord that can help other people who are listening to your story right now? There's always hope. Even when it feels hopeless, there's always hope. God always has a way of bringing us through. Footsteps. You know, we always talk about that and used to be really popular to talk about it. But I was always one where it's like God wouldn't have had footsteps. There would be like drag marks of him dragging me along. But he's always been there. Mm -hmm. And you have to realize that even if it feels like you're being dragged, he's still there in the midst of it. He's always faithful. He's always there to bring you joy and hope. No matter what he brings you to, he'll bring you through it. I had a pastor's wife once who said, God is never taken by surprise. 
And that's been a key thought and that I've built my life on since then, because it never occurred to me because I was always so surprised when these horrible things happened that God wasn't and that he had prepared and that he had a good plan and that he was going to be faithful through the midst of it. I remember you telling me, you know, one time uh, that, you know, you believe God is good. And that's, that's one of those things, those bedrocks in my life that I learned at a young age that God is good. I have a good father, a wonderful father. So it was easy for me to believe that God is good. Yes. But we have to all come to that unshakable belief that God is good so that when those surprising things to us happen, <laughs> yes, we can trust that we have a good God who's taking care of it. You know, we can think, well, he wasn't surprised. He could have prevented that from happening. Right. But, but he loves us. And sometimes life is not perfect and life is not heaven. The life on this earth isn't heaven. And what he does is for his glory. Mm-hmm. And he loves us. He's not doing it to hurt us. And I think we get that image in our our heads that God is trying to punish us or hurt us when he's not. He's yeah. loving us and trying to hold us close to him. And God doesn't cause the tragedy to nope. happen. He allows us free will in this earth, which is, you know, unfortunately back to Adam and Eve, they chose <laughs> wrongly that allowed sin and corruption into the world, that we are living the consequences of that some. But through it all, God's redeeming us and redeeming the earth. And we will have a new heaven and a new earth someday where all of the terrible things are gone. Yep. And he'll redeem everything, even the hard times, the, you know, the deaths, the depression, everything that feels so awful in the moment. God can redeem it and will love us through it, even when we're facing it. Well, I love to ask my guests if there's a woman in the Bible whose story inspired, encouraged, or taught you something and how her story relates to yours. I know you mentioned the woman with the issue of blood earlier. Maybe that's her. Maybe there's somebody else. Martha of Mary and Martha. I am such a Martha. (laughs) I have my to-do list and my planners and everything that needs to be done. Going back to that, you know, image of perfection, all these things that need to be done perfectly and well and with excellence. And while God wants us to do things with excellence, he does want us to have a relationship and remember the biggest reason why we're even in relationship with him. And it's not about the doing, it's about the being. It still always annoyed me, though, when people were like, oh, Martha should be more like Mary. And it's like, but God created Martha the way she was, people. He just wanted her to remember that he was the number one reason for what she was doing. And that spending that time with him was the number one reason. And that she was trying to make everything perfect for him when he was perfect. Mm. And he just wanted her. And so he, she can be Martha and not be Mary and still be loved by God. And I love the fact that the next time you see them at their home, Martha's still serving. She's still cooking dinner. Mary's still there at his feet, worshiping him. But there's a peace in the home. There's no strife. There's no, God, you should be making her help me do my to-do list to make things perfect for you. There's the more of an identity of who she knows who she is in her relationship with God at that point. Mm, That's good. That's very good. Well, Alyssa talked about Jeremiah 29, 11 earlier in the podcast, and I'm just going to read verses 11 through 13, because I think it's so important to remember this. And the Lord says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Those words, of course, were written to encourage the Israelites who were in exile in Babylon. But that is God's heart for every one of us today. If we call on him like Alyssa did, he is quick to respond. Alyssa, would you take a moment, pray for everyone who listens to your amazing God story? Father, we just thank you that you're a loving, loving Father, Lord, that you love us even when we're not so lovable. Lord, we just thank you that you are the ultimate healer, no matter what we're facing. Whether it's a healing in the body or healing in the mind, Lord, you know the exact treatment and touch from you that we need, Lord. Thank you for answering my call and my desperation, Lord. And for anyone who's listening, who's in that place of desperation, Lord, where they literally want you to fix them or kill them, Lord, I just pray that you will give them life, Mm -hmm. give them life more abundantly in you, Lord. And we thank you that you have the ability to do that and that you want to do that, that you love them. You want to take them into your loving arms. You want to take that darkness that's been covering them and take it on yourself, Father, so that they don't have to deal with it anymore. Lord, we thank you that you are a rescuer, that you rescue from depression, Lord. We thank you that you are touching hearts and spirits that are listening to this podcast. We pray that you will speak to their hearts and give them directions on which direction they need to go that follows your path, Lord. And Father, we thank you that we can always choose joy. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in. In our show notes at HerGodStory.org, you will find links to the scriptures and other helpful information. And when you go to the website, you can get a free six-week devotional on women of the Bible. And I've written a chapter, uh, or actually two, and so has Alyssa. So we hope it helps you in your walk with the Lord. Don't forget to sign up for periodic emails as well. We'd love to pray with you on our 24-7 prayer or text line. Give us a call anytime at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it on your favorite streaming service. And we'd love for you to share this story with friends who might enjoy it or might need it. Be sure to like or follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And now, dear friends, I leave you with a blessing adapted from Psalm 5, verses 11 and 12. May you who take refuge in God be glad and sing for joy. May he spread his protection over you so you may rejoice in him. May God bless you and surround you with favor as with a shield. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.